Is it my imagination or did Mr. Phelps <clears throat> have an uncanny resemblance to Wally? Okay. <laughs> Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, with me. <clears throat> if you don't have uh, the Bible with you, I'm going to have the scriptures up on our screen here. Let's begin with prayer. Father, again, we are just so grateful that you have brought us together today in order to worship you. We pray that you would give us uh, wisdom and understanding as we continue to look into your scriptures. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth, and Lord, that you would sanctify us through your word. Amen. Chapter 15, verse 1, Then drew near on him all, the publicans and sinners, for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man is having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, And search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Can you remember a time when as an innocent child you thought about what you were going to you grew up. You know, you spent all this time thinking of all these different things. But as you begin to live your life, you get all these different kinds of summer jobs, uh, you know, a variety of different things. And when you finally become an adult, you enter into that life of adulthood, only a few can say that they've actually become what they had thought they were going to be when they were, going to, they were little kids. And that's a good thing because, you know, not everybody can be an astronaut or a dinosaur, Right? <laughs> How many people here today, show of hands by the way, how many people here today grew up with the ambition that they wanted to be the most despised person in town? No one. Okay. It wasn't much different back in the Roman Empire either, by the way. Little kids didn't go to their parents and say, you know what, mom, dad, I want to be the worst sinner there is. And their parents didn't come back to them and say, why don't you aim higher? Why don't you become a publican instead? Publicans were hated by the people. No parent in their right mind would actually wish that upon a child, that they would grow up to become a sinner or a publican because publicans were the hired tax collectors of their day. And they were despised by everyone. Even the harlot could say, hey, at least I'm not a publican. It was to the point that the observant Jews would not want to uh, 
and accidentally come into contact with them for fear that they might be considered unclean ceremoniously. And so it's no stretch of the imagination that we can say that they were considered some of the lower most people at social gatherings. Unfortunately, the Pharisees and the scribes that were present there that day, they didn't think that they needed help with salvation. You see, they were very religious. And yet they were very wrong in regards to uh, thinking that they knew what God was expecting from them. See, he wanted them to believe that they were sinners in need of a Savior. He wanted them to believe that his righteous judgment was laid out before everyone. Sinners, uh, as well as religious people. <clears throat> so not just certain sinners and tax collectors, but them as well. But to the religious people, they divided people and unclean. Actually, I think I skipped. Uh, my notes here. Sorry about that. Ah, yes, here we go. Can't forget the most important part. See, it wasn't just about certain tax collectors and sinners. In fact, there are going to be a lot of religious people in hell because they thought that they could earn their ticket to heaven by doing a lot of good things and hopes that it would outweigh their bad things. So we all have these people here that are there to hear him, but yet it's safe to say that even though they were there to hear him, they were not all there to listen to what he had to say. The Bible records that there were publicans, there was uh, some Pharisees, there was scribes, and there was sinners, these four groups. The religious leaders would have divided them into two groups. That's where we come here, the clean and the unclean. And yet there were actually two different categories. It was those that were looking to find the truth through Jesus and those that were looking to find fault in him. And those that were trying to find fault in him were not quiet about it either. The Bible says that they murmured. In other words, they were making sure that everyone was aware of their complaint about Jesus. Even the word, listen to it, murmured. You know what they mean. They tried to sway the people by speaking out against Jesus. And throughout the Gospels, we read of how the religious establishment was quick to condemn Jesus because he went out of his way to spend time with the sinners. And he wasn't about to conform to what their preconceived notion of what the Messiah was going to be. And they didn't like that. And the really strange part is that the Pharisees and the scribes, they claimed to believe in the God of the Bible. And they sincerely thought that what they were doing was correct. Remember Paul chasing after the Christians. He thought he was correct. Many in the general public actually believed that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing the right thing as well. Yet what they were doing was actually against God himself. And it's no different today. You know, some people say they believe in God. Yet they disagree with the teachings of Jesus and what the Bible says. Some desire to know the truth and to be set free from sin while others simply want to find a way to discredit Jesus so that they can unabatedly continue in sin. When the Pharisees complained and they said that Jesus receives sinners, they were actually 
making this statement and it told us a lot about them as well as it did about Jesus. Their statement told us that they demonstrated a lack of love as well as a lack of compassion. And hidden behind this cloak of humility that they had was an abundance of pride. Quite the opposite of Jesus. Who demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. What they considered to be horrible, you know, Jesus hanging out with these sinners, was actually the most wonderful thing. Because it means that God calls us just as we are. You know, we don't try to change our ways before we come to God. Because that would be impossible. Right? First we come to Him, He changes our ways. And then we want to be more like Him. Because you know when you look up to somebody, you want to be like them? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And we should all be growing to be conformed to the image of Christ. And if the religious leaders had truly loved God as much as they say and that they claim that they did, they would have been excited to see that these sinners were coming to Jesus. This brings us to the parable. We know that Jesus is drawing a clear parallel of how when they are searching for something and they find it, they get super excited about it. And that they share the good news with all their neighbors and they all rejoice together. And likewise, when a lost sinner comes to faith in God, there is rejoicing in heaven. You see, no one disagreed with Jesus when he gave this example of the sheep and the coins. But while he's drawing this parallel, he is simultaneously uh, demonstrating this harsh uh, contrast with what they are doing. You see, Jesus is pointing out the fact that they have more compassion for animals and they have a greater love for money than they do for their fellow human beings. Look again at the passage. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Notice to what extent this person goes through. It's not like he's saying, Man, you know, I got one sheep, I got a hundred. It's just a sheep. He knows his sheep. He knows which one is missing. He leaves the 99, not out of neglect. And then, because he doesn't want to sit idly by and let this sheep just go. This lost sheep is not just out in the distance and he can see it way back there in the field. No, this is in the middle of the wilderness. He's smack dab right in the middle of the wilderness with plenty of different places for a sheep to hide and not want to be found. And yet this person is searching and he doesn't care what the difficulties may be uh, as he comes up during these things, during his search. 
Because his sole focus is to find the lost sheep. And he will not rest until he does. Once he finds it, he doesn't just put a rope on it and haul it off like a dog. He picks it up. He carefully picks it up, carries it back home to the flock. And then he reunites it with the fold. And upon his return, he's so happy that he calls his friends and neighbors so that they can come and take part in this joyous occasion. People don't go out of their way to invite others to celebrate just because they're a little happy. But you would be more likely to invite people over to take part in this this moment when you're overjoyed if it's something that you absolutely loved. And in one sense, this parable is a picture of the extent that God will go through in order to find the lost. It's no small coincidence that God describes his people as sheep. Not because the, you know, not the, the wild sheep. Wild sheep are self-sufficient, okay? He describes us as the domesticated sheep, if you will, okay? Uh, he compares us to them, not because we're cute and fluffy, but because we are high maintenance, okay? We can easily get lost and get into all sorts of trouble unless we are led by a good shepherd. So when Jesus is telling the scribes and the Pharisees this story, he is very uh, aware that they will demonstrate this love and compassion towards an animal, but this animal was once lost and now it's found, but yet they will not be willing to show this same level of compassion and love towards their fellow man. And back in verse 2, they were upset that Jesus went out of his way to seek Lost sinners. They didn't want their sheep to perish, yet they apparently thought that people were expendable. What a twisted set of priorities. The Word of God teaches, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These people could quote Scripture. I mean, they're scribes. Their job is to write. They could quote scripture, and yet they failed in the application of it. Then in verse 7, Jesus says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So Jesus compares and contrasts his love of souls with their love of livestock, if you will. Because they simply could not understand why Jesus would be rejoicing in the presence of sinners. Because in their eyes, sinners were of a lesser value. People are the same thing today. You know, they'll judge people by what they have to offer. Maybe uh, what they do for a living. Or even where they live. Uh, What shoes they wear. What team they cheer for. I mean, the list goes on. There's all kinds of ways to divide. But they have forgotten that the value is found in the person and not in what, uh, and not what the person has of value. And like the good teacher that he is, Jesus gives us a separate and yet similar uh, example. In verse 8, he says, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, 
doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I had lost. Notice again how she doesn't stop looking for the coin until she actually finds it. This silver coin that she lost was worth a day's wage. Okay, just in case you're wondering, that's before taxes. Okay, in comparison, the shekel that you hear about in the Bible was worth three of these coins. And when the Bible speaks of a talent of silver, that's worth 9,000 of these coins. So approximately 30 years of wages. Perspective makes you look at things in a different way, doesn't it? You know, so depending on how you look at it, you could be like, that's a whole day's wage. Or maybe you're looking at it from a lifetime of labor and you're saying, it's just a day. But our tendency is to look at things from our own perspective, right? And we may forget that God's perspective could be quite different than ours. So good practice is not just hear, but actually listen to what God has to say. And that's a constant struggle with kids. If you have kids or if you've ever been around kids, you know what I'm talking about. You know, they'll ask you a question and while you're answering them, you could see it in their eyes. They're not really listening. You know, because they already have it in their head. They're preoccupied with this thought of what's my next question going to be? And as you're answering the question, you could still see them. And then they'll ask you five minutes later the same question. Now say, I want you to think back and listen to what my answer was. Oh, you never answered that. Oh, I did answer that. And that's how we are. But in regards to this lady with the coin, if you've ever misplaced a wallet and, uh, you know, uh, with some cash, credit cards, IDs, you probably can totally relate to what she was feeling. If you're the kind of person that doesn't have a wallet because, hey, it's a digital age, everything's on my phone, imagine losing your phone, okay, and everything's gone. You'll retrace your steps five times over, even if you've looked at a place, just to make sure you didn't glance over it and miss it. You'll check every place that you remember using it last time. You'll dig between sofa cushions. You know, maybe you'll find a bunch of stuff that you're sorry you found. You know, old chips in the cushions or something. You know? And none of it is what you're looking for. And after you're done looking in these general areas and you still haven't found it, maybe the flashlight comes out because now you're going to start looking in those places that you haven't swept in a while. But unfortunately, if your phone is also your flashlight, you're kind of out of luck there. So, you know. And as you begin to look under the fridge and stove, you start looking at all these things and you still can't find it. And then maybe in some last attempt, you begin to search places that you never even considered you would ever look. So you start ending up looking at maybe the trash can because you know what? Maybe I dropped it somewhere and it slid into the can somewhere. And you're willing to continue your search and exhaust it by looking into every nook and cranny. But man, when you find it, what a sense of relief. You don't care how long it took you. There's a relief. And it should be no stretch of the imagination for us to be able to relate on some level to what this lady was going through. I mean, that's a day's wage. And for her to find that silver coin again, she would have been happy. And so it is that Jesus tries to bring his point across by relating to them with something that everyone was familiar with. Money. 
See, Jesus is making a connection with the extent that this lady would go to in order to find something that she valued. You could put a dollar figure on it. And he compares that with how he will go out looking for souls which he considered of immeasurable value. And he uses this silver coin as an example because it was precious to them. But he also contrasts this point of view by using this coin because it had a limited value and yet he felt that a life and a soul was completely out of this world worth of value. It was unlimited. And they thought that it was worthy of celebration when they found a coin. All the while, there were souls of people that would continue into a godless eternity. And the very people that should have been seeking them and caring for them had discarded them as if they were just trash. And just Jesus here is comparing the values of this world with the values of his world. On the one hand, they'll go out of their way into the wilderness to seek a lost sheep. But they won't do the same to seek a lost soul. They'll go out of their way to sweep an entire home and shine a light in dark places in order to find that coin, but they won't go out of their way to shine the light of God's word into this lost and dying world. In 1 John chapter 4, we read, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And I'm sorry, but this just begs the question, how much do these Pharisees and scribes have to hate someone in order for them to not telling them that according to the scriptures, they are in danger of the judgment of God? But thankfully, though, in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we've looked at this parable from two different angles so far. We've looked at uh, how the Pharisees and the scribes had a lack of compassion for the lost. We've also looked at how God is uh, searching for sinners. But another aspect that we need to consider is that while Jesus is seeking to save the lost, there were people there that were not interested in seeking Jesus. And they did not want to be found. The Lamb of God stood before them right in the open. He wasn't hiding his light under a bushel. And yet the very people that should have been ready for his coming were filled with contempt. They not only were not looking for the Lamb... But when the lamb came to them, they turned him away. Because, see, through their religious system, they had created a God in their mind that was different than the one true God that is found in the Bible. And that's amazing because they were using the same scriptures. But their religion superseded the scriptures. They had made a God out of their religion. And in so doing, they had become numb to the very promptings of God. 
you hear people say, you know what, I don't believe, but man, if God were to come before me, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. If you're not willing to believe right now, even if God himself were to come before you, you wouldn't believe. But regardless of what their attempts were to silence God the Son, people from all walks of life were able to come to Jesus. And the heavens rejoiced. And Jesus gave us a glimpse of what happens when someone comes to faith. Verse 9. And when she had found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. You know, when a sinner comes to faith, it's such a significant event in heaven that God's outpouring of joy, it causes the angels in heaven, as well as all of those that have gone on before us, to be filled with joy and to celebrate in a way that we can't even imagine. You know, we might have some idea, but not really. And that celebration is happening every single time a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, one day you're going to be up there celebrating with him every time a new person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Think about that. So here's a closing thought. Can you put your name up there? Can you say with certainty that there was a specific time in heaven when there was joy in the presence of the angels of God when you personally came to faith in Jesus Christ? If there is that time, you know that they did that when your name was called out. Because you can still be as religious as you want to be, but you can still be lost. And one of the points of these parables that Jesus taught was that your soul is of a such greater value than anything that this world has to offer. See, a lot of people will put it off because they love the things of this world, but those have no value. Remember, it's about perspective. And that... One thing that he wants is to be, for you to be found in him, not to be found in religion. But with that being said, you first have to realize you're lost. And from there, you have to actually be willing to be found by him. The Pharisees and the scribes in that story there, they weren't willing. He was right there looking at them. And the way that we do that is simply by recognizing we are actually sinners. Not compared to somebody else, but compared to God himself. Once you have that perspective, that's when you realize how sinful your sin truly is. Because if I compare myself to other people, I'm like, my sin's not that bad. It's when I compare myself to God who has no sin that I see that my sin is exceedingly sinful. And that it deserves judgment. And yet, 
Jesus came and willingly took upon himself that judgment. That judgment that was owed to me and to you. The Bible says that Jesus took the sin, our sin, upon himself. And that God the Father poured out his wrath on his only begotten Son. So that the penalty of sin would not have to be paid by us. Because it was already paid by Jesus when he took it and and laid it on the cross. All we have to do, it's not complicated. We don't have to go through 15 steps through a religious system. All we have to do is choose to believe that what Jesus did, he did it for us. And we have to accept his sacrifice as a free gift. Nothing I do and nothing I bring. And instead of doing it my way, I have to turn and follow him. And if you haven't done so, that is my prayer for you today, that you would come to know him not only as Jesus of the Bible, but as your personal Lord and Savior. So as we close in prayer, I'm just going to ask the uh, the worship uh, team to come up. Father, as we meditate on the reality of the afterlife, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your wisdom and give us the opportunity as well as the desire to seek and to share the good news with the lost as Jesus did. Lord, we look forward to that day when we can celebrate with you face to face for your glory. Amen.